From Innovation Alley at Marquette University, I'm Chuck Swoboda, and this is Innovators on Tap, a show based on the idea that innovation is about leadership. It's a mindset to find a better way, and ultimately, it's about people. These conversations are designed to allow you to open your mind to new ideas and find ways to put those concepts to work. Together, we can solve big problems and maybe even change the world. The podcast is sponsored by City Lights Brewing Company, an award-winning brewery and taproom set in the historic Milwaukee Gas Company buildings right on the banks of the Menominee River. As you know, I'm a home brewer and an investor in another brewery, which gives me a little more insight than the average beer drinker. I was impressed by the quality of the team and more importantly, their selection of innovative craft beers. You can enjoy a pint in the taproom overlooking the brew house or take in some fresh air in the relaxing beer garden set on the river. They also have a great beer-inspired food menu. Please visit citylightsbrewing.com for more details. I think it's a big advantage because I'm very naive. I don't let the limitations of reality and experience get me down. Who do you think said this? Was it a young Steve Jobs when he was inventing the Macintosh? Or maybe it was Elon Musk when he said he wanted to commercialize space travel. Actually, the person who said this isn't famous, at least not yet. This quote is from Efren Torres, a young alumnus of Marquette University. When I was working at Cree, we were often told that what we were trying to do was impossible, but it only motivated us more. And like Efren, we used the fact that we didn't know what wasn't possible to our advantage. On today's episode, we sit down with Efren, who is working on an accessible MRI machine, Paula Van Camp, a current student at Marquette University working on a recycling makerspace, and Nadia Johnson, a Marquette graduate who founded the software company Jet Constellations and is working to brand Milwaukee as the most diverse tech hub in the country. We discuss why they are able to take risks at such a young age, how they view failure, and even how they would go about changing the higher ed business model. As Albert Einstein said, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. These young innovators have embraced this idea and the Jesuits call to action to go forth and set the world on fire. Please note that this episode was recorded live at the 707 Hub on Marquette University's campus. That's what's on tap today. Enjoy. Welcome, everyone. I want to start out with kind of a way to get warmed up, and this is really a question for all of you, so you can take it in whatever order you want. So what makes someone innovative, and do you consider yourself an innovator? So for me, I think that what makes someone innovative is when they're being their authentic selves. I always like to say that we're all born creators um, and um, it's tapping into who you really are that helps you to um, be the creator that you're meant to be and innovate exactly what you were put on this earth to you know, create. Do you consider yourself an innovator? Absolutely. Awesome. <laughs> How about you, Efren? Uh, I would say that being an innovator is really daring to try something new despite the fact that it's usually extremely risky. And, and personally, I would consider myself an innovator as well. How about you, Paula? Um, I think it boils down to solving problems that don't exist yet. Um, so going beyond what people think they need and um, coming up with a need that might not be there already. Um, I hope that someday I am able to do that. I think right now I'm still just learning and figuring out what I can create. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting you guys say that. So one of the things I learned, uh, I'm not sure I consider myself an innovator, but I got to work with a lot of great ones. And uh, the thing I always saw is that they had this ability to focus on the problem and not themselves. So the problem was more important. And then the second piece I thought was always interesting is that innovators had this kind of, and I think you guys said it a little bit, there's this passion that there's always something better they're looking for, right? They're never satisfied. They keep pushing for something else. So I think there's an interesting dynamic that at least my senses you all have. You might be wondering, are we going to talk about their businesses? Maybe a little. Um, what I should probably let you know is Innovators on Tap was actually created to think about innovation a little bit differently. It's really meant to be is what allows these three people to do the amazing things they do? Why are they able to take these risks or do things that others can't do? Because I believe actually at the end of the day, it's a mindset that this starts with. And I think what I think we can learn the most today from these three is that uh, what is it about their mindset that lets them do this? And then maybe what are some of the challenges? So with that, you guys have had a lot of success early in life. What do you think is your biggest failure so far? The first thing that comes to mind is when I got a 30% on a calc test senior year. Um, but I have a feeling that's not the failure you're looking for. Um, I'd say it's uh, letting, in general, not a specific moment, but um, I think that I fail when I let other influences change my opinion. Um, so when I know something deep down or I, I have an idea and I let um, whether it's other people or opinions, um, when I let that change my mindset and not sticking with what I know. I think for me, my biggest failure was, you know, I, I graduated high school and so I, as I kind of mentioned in my bio, I'm a first generation college student. I'm kind of first generation everything from college going to skier. <laughs> so anything in between. And in high school, I kind of would always tell my friends that, you know, I'm going to work, you know, as hard as I can in college. And I'm going to work towards, at the time, I had this goal of making medicine more accessible. And that was very broad as a high schooler because I didn't understand medicine and I didn't understand a lot of things. And I remember my first semester, I was kind of the definition of average in terms of student, academics. And I remember going home and my parents were ecstatic. They were so happy. And it was because I finished my first semester of college. <laughs> you know, that's great. You know, I, I have a son in college and, you know, he's going to graduate. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I just performed like my, my definition of average. Like I didn't, I wasn't great at all. And I realized that I could continue being average and my parents would still be ecstatic when I graduated. And I reflected on that semester and I told myself, am I going to allow myself to be this average student, average human being and I decided not to. So I came back kind of with a new passion and determined to turn into the person that I thought I needed to become to make the impact that I wanted to do. So I think that was one biggest failure. And you know, after, after that, I would say I was almost continuously failing because I was set really large goals, didn't make it, but I just, you know, rinse and repeat and I slowly became better. But I think that was probably my biggest failure in undergrad. I'm sure there's more to come. <laughs> <laughs> So when you first asked the question, uh, immediately I thought of the moment when I realized I scored a 26% on my calc exam. <laughs> um, that was devastating and I cried. Um, but um, one th that I'd like to note is, well, for one, I like to pair my um, failures with learnings. So the most significant mm. failure 
um, that led to the most significant learning thus far in my life is that um, w when I thought that the most successful people were out of reach or geniuses or completely different than myself or the people that I hung around on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so when I had con convinced myself of that, um, it sort of made me feel like mm, I'll never be a billionaire or maybe computer science isn't for me because <laughs> these people are geniuses. <laughs> um, but then I, I eventually um, took the leap and decided to get into computer science and realized Y'all are not smarter than me. <laughs> um, I ended up taking the leap and starting my own software company and realized this is not some grand thing that only, you know, billionaires do. So once I began to demystify, um, you know, the fact or the idea that individuals who are behind these software companies or in, in these high-tech, um, high-positions were you know special or superhuman and then i then i started to sort of take off when you describe your realizing that you failed and you learned something from it in uh in the work i've done talking to just people from industries all over that uh i would say that the innovators would actually describe failure almost exactly the way you did it which is it's they didn't it might have been a failure, but to them it was a learning experience. Mm -hmm. um, the term I like to use is I think they, innovators realize that failure is more like fuel for innovation, right? It gives them a reason to go try the next thing. There was actually, uh, I think it was just today, Harvard Business Review came out with a study. And they actually studied people who had failures at young ages, and they tend to be more successful. Because they've learned this idea that it's actually not trying to fail, but accepting that when you do, you learn something and use it as motivation to do the next thing. And so it, you've all taken some significant risks. And as I was just discussing, most people spend their life avoiding them. So how did you get comfortable with this idea? Okay, maybe I didn't have the success I want. I'm going to go try this thing. I mean, you've started a software company. You decide to take on this project. To, I'm going to solve plastic recycling on campus. And you've decided we need a completely new MRI machine. What do you think allows you? To take risk, I think it, it depends on the risk. But for example, in an undergrad, I took a lot of risks with taking on essentially way too many things at once. <laughs> and I would always think to myself, "Yeah, I'm not going to get a 4.0, or I'm not going to be a perfect student." But at the end of the semester, I'm sure I will become a be a better person in terms of managing time, in terms of academically, in terms of intellect, in terms of maturity, in terms of handling stress. So that's why I took kind of those smaller risks, I would say. But in terms of kind of what you mentioned now, in terms of what my larger goal is, is what I like to think about is, it's kind of this, this phrase from, I'm sure he's a fairly famous guy now named David Goggins. I'm sure plenty of people here know him now, but he has a phrase called a kind of, it's like, what if, and like, it's the idea of like, what if the risk pans out, right? You have this idea, like, for example, I have this, I'm 22, you know, I just started my grad school, <laughs> yet I have, you know, this ambition to pursue a biotech company and, you know, develop technology as accessible overall. It's, it sounds like a crazy idea, and it is, but what if it works out? Like, what if in 10, 15 years, I'm able to help a lot more people and inspire people who, were, who are just like me, who are just first generation, who are also from, 
you know, the bad side of the bad side of a, of a city and, you know, who also never had anyone kind of in who was, who was an engineer in their family or anything like that. I, so that's kind of what helps me take the risks in terms of what I did in undergrad and now this much larger risk because it's, I'm sure it would have been a lot easier to just do one thing at a time. <laughs> but yeah. Paul and Dia, thoughts? I think that the big risk that I took was sharing my idea with somebody else. So as an introvert, I get a lot of my creativity when I'm on my own, when I'm journaling. Um, but being able to take this concept of a plastic recycling workspace that I was just came up with on a weekend one time and share it with a friend who was really excited about it and gave me that feedback and that confirmation that this is something worth pursuing. Um, it was really having that connection and that team, even though it was a team of two for a while, having somebody else to fall back on and to receive feedback and to build that relationship with um, was really what helped me take that risk to get funding and really pursue um, everything else that it took. And also just a need for people to understand recycling and not just think about it, but there's really a need on campus and throughout the world for people to get their hands on this subject um, and not just talk about it, read articles. But I took the risk um, because I had that foundation and that relationship, but also it was a need I really wanted to fulfill. So for me, I think it's two things. I'm an artist, um, even before I'm a woman in tech, believe it or not, although that's the thing I push the most these days. I love to paint, and I have for a very long time. And being an artist, um, especially a painter, I think it it really teaches, or at least it taught me, how to trust the process. And so things... Normally for me, things start off okay. It starts off with a sketch, and I kind of, okay, I know where I'm going. And then all of a sudden the paint hits the canvas, and it's like, ah, this was a mistake. <laughs> or it gets worse, it gets worse, and all of a sudden it gets better. And so um, by working and building uh, my creative muscle, it sort of helped me to understand the importance of trusting the process and taking risks. Um, and, and regardless uh, of the outcome, you end up learning something and you end up being better afterwards. And so when it comes to risk taking for me, I think the, the largest risk I've taken thus far is uh, attempting to brand the city of Milwaukee as the Milky Way Tech Hub, the most inclusive tech hub in the nation. I was extremely ambitious. And um, it is it does have high risk, but high rewards, I believe. And um, I was able to take such a large leap of faith because I believe that I really built that that muscle, um, which it really stems from being creative and stepping outside of my comfort zone and trusting the process. Now, the other thing I think is a boiling point. My largest uh, risk was taken um, because I reached my boiling point. I'm sick of looking around rooms and not seeing enough representation. I'm sick of it. And I got to the point around 2017 for me, um, hearing the buzz of, oh, Milwaukee's transforming into a tech hub. Look how much effort and money is putting forth for all this. And I look around and I would not see Milwaukee. I'd see Waukesha. I see Wauwatosa. I would see Wausau in the room talking about Milwaukee, but I wouldn't see my Milwaukee. And so I said, we're going to, we're going to start the Milky Way Tech Hub. We're going to make sure that black people and women are a part of this conversation. Boiling point was reached, right? Once you, you get to that level of frustration. You said a couple things I think are really important, which are, I think most people forget that the reward is proportional to the risk. Mm -hmm. 
And so many of us want to take a small risk and expect a big reward when life doesn't work that way. I think there's always also this debate, are, are you born with it or do you learn it? And what I would tell you is I actually think it can be learned. I, I was willing to take some risk, but I came way more comfortable over time. I think uh, as I was writing my book, someone, I can't think of who it was, was quite famous, said, you know, once you realize that you fail and you come out the other side and you're, you're okay, it's really easy, much easier to take that shot the next time. And so I think there's this mindset you start to develop and be willing to do, take the big leaps that you were willing to take there. Uh, the other thing that comes to mind is at some point, I think you start to realize that the biggest risk is not doing anything. Because if you think about the world's changing around us every day, there's no standing still, there's no chance. Once you realize that's worse, it's yeah. kind of easy to decide to go do it, right? Yeah. 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 Um, so each of you is doing something pretty different. So you have a very medical technology problem. You're all solving different kinds of problems. And my guess is you are running into different kinds of barriers, whether they be technical, but more, most often my guess is you're running into some organizational or people barriers, things that get in your way of doing this. Can you give us an idea, each of you, what is that barrier that the hardest thing you're trying to get around to implement your idea? And what are you trying to do to get around it? I think the hardest thing is um, getting people to care about something that was never on their radar before, something that hmm. just has, they have no interest in. Um, and sometimes that boils down to giving them more information and making them informed first. Um, but if there's anything that I've learned from this E-Lead program and from everybody that I've met is that you cannot change other people. You can only change yourself. So if you really want people to care, you have to show how much you care um, and then make that clear everywhere. Um, show that it's something important to you and that it's worth caring about. Um, and then that's really going to feed into everybody else around you. So I think it's a it's a barrier I'm still working on, um, trying to figure out how you um, share, share these things you're working on, share how important they are without obviously coming across as crazy or just a little bit too much. So yeah, I think it's a, it's a struggle that we deal with all the time, whether we're innovating or we just want our roommate to do more dishes um, <laughs> or whatever it is. Um, but just keeping in mind that it, it's really your own actions that influence others. So something to think about when uh, we decided to invent an LED light bulb and we tried to figure out how we were going to convince customers, we actually decided the number one problem we had was apathy. Yeah. Mm. Nobody cared about their light bulbs. Mm. They didn't care what they cost. They didn't care that they burned out. So how do you convince someone to buy a more expensive light bulb that never burns out? And uh, one of the things that we had to figure out was we had to help understand their problem in a different way. And in the end, what we stumbled onto is that one of the things people wanted was they were happy to have cheaper light. So we had, instead of talking about a light bulb that lasted forever, we had to convince them that they bought this light bulb, it'd save them a lot of money. And if they bought the old one, it wouldn't. And it was interesting. That was the moment where people started to care about it. But it was, we had, like you said, we had to change our perspective because, you know, if, if you're going to try to change everyone one at a time, it's kind of slow, right? So how do you, how do you kind of craft your idea in a way that relates to a problem that they think they already have? Nadia, what do you have on this? Yeah, I, I'll piggyback off of what you all are saying. I think it's uh, getting people to understand 
um, the importance of representation, specifically in tech and STEM fields. Um, and uh, for me, the, the most consistent barrier has been just just underrepresentation itself from uh, when I started my my journey here in Marquette University, no representation in the classrooms, mentorship on to corporate America, and it poses so many so many significant challenges. Um, and and because of the lack of representation, the lack of perspectives in the room, um, so many other challenges arise that significantly can impact an individual um, and that I've been a witness to. And then now now that I'm uh, you know launching this campaign, this Milky Way Tech Hub campaign, right, where I want to educate and expose more black people, more women, more underestimated individuals in this tech space to technology, you're I'm literally dealing with the problem while trying to fo focus on the problem and, and solve a solution. So I, I try to host these events, but these events come out not with having attendance with people that don't necessarily, <laughs> um, or, or I should say aren't necessarily the target demographic at the time um, because you don't know what you don't know. So just getting people to be aware and educated enough to want to be uh, a part of this movement has just been a significant challenge, but again, underrepresentation is just that thread throughout. I'm um, just I consistently I can go on and on about it, but well, hopefully you all see the significance from that yeah. <laughs> and can begin caring about it, um, and we'll support this effort. So actually, I would want to say a little bit about that as well. So I also in my undergrad worked a lot in outreach and kind of working on the urban community, and to kind of emphasize that point, I didn't know what engineering was until probably a year into my engineering curriculum. <laughs> and it's, it's this exact same case. I would, you know, I visit underrepresented high schools. I would go to Milwaukee Academy of Science all the time where I talk to my nephews or people in my neighborhood and no one knew what engineering was. No one knew what, what, what it meant. Like, for example, I was actually very underprepared for engineering curriculum. I found that out when I started my engineering career, <laughs> things like that. And it's like, you, you don't know what you don't know. You can't say I want to be an engineer when you don't know what an engineer is. You can't say I want to be a, you know, a physicist, a scientist, a, a coder, and things like that. Like they don't, you can't aspire to be those things if you don't know what they are and you know, don't have anyone else around you to be a role model for that. So, Well, you know, it's interesting. I've, I've done a little work with Cristo Ray schools, mm -hmm. and the Cristo yeah. Ray schools have this, uh, you know, they basically have a work component to it. And uh, when I was asking the logic, originally it was done really for financial reasons, but what they learned is the most important part of it is these students have never been exposed to some of these careers. And that's why they're purposely putting them out in industries because, you know, I think many of us forget that grow up in uh, the suburbs, in Waukesha or wherever that might be, you're exposed to engineers and doctors and all these people every day. And if you've never been given that environment, how do you, it, it's the, uh, I like to say one of the tough parts about inventing new technology is you can't ask the customer because the customer can't imagine something they don't know is possible. And it's a little bit of what you're describing. And so what they're trying to do in that scenario is they're honestly just trying to let people know what's possible. But, uh, you know, it's one of the tricks to innovation, right? Because we all think traditional business teaches us you go out and ask your customers. But, uh, you know, the assumption there is, is that they, they have some idea. It's a my favorite quote is Henry Ford's old quote, which said, if I asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Ooh, that's good. Because they couldn't imagine it, right? But, but it, it, and we think of that only applies to technology. It applies to people. It applies to everything. So another question that comes to mind is, so you, 
the three of you have a very different perspective. You're pursuing innovation, frankly, at a really young age and uh, earlier than many other people ever would. Do you think it's an advantage or a disadvantage? I personally think it's a, a big advantage because I'm, I'm very naive. <laughs> so I can say things like I want to, you know, build a big company and save a bunch of lives and not let the limitations of, I guess, reality and experience kind of get me down. Because I, I recently, I, over summer, I read the book David and Goliath on Malcolm Gladwell, and he talks about naivety being a very, you know, he talks about in, in a position of a startup, right? You have your pros and cons, your cons, you know, you have money funding and things like that, but your pros are you can take risks much more openly and you can, you know, think big dreams because you don't, you haven't failed that many times or because you are, you know, you're, you just lack the experience. So I personally think it's a huge advantage just because I have to also learn so early on on what it would take to become an innovator and become, you know, I get to start my journey so much earlier. So I would, I personally think it's a big advantage. Paula? Yeah, I think, I think it's an advantage, um, mostly because of what we were talking about before about failure and how maybe this is going to be a big failure. I don't know. Um, but starting early allows you to do all of the, take all those risks and allow yourself to fail before, um, so that you can learn and you can grow from those experiences so that eventually you're going to succeed. Um, so I think starting young or younger and, um, pursuing more ideas um, allows you to do that. So. I second um, what both of them said. I think that it's super important to start as early as possible. Um, I wish I had started uh, Jack Constellations earlier. Um, it, I've learned so much. And I think that if I had waited, if I decided to take an extra year, even if I took an extra year to like make sure my business plan was super concrete, do you know how Milwaukee has transformed in the, in the tech scene over between 2017 and 2018 and then now? I mean, if I had waited, it would have been very, very hard for me to really push this Milky Way tech hub, right? There could have been, it just... It's good that I started when I started. <laughs> it would have been better if I started a little bit earlier. <laughs> well, it's interesting you all say that. So I would actually agree, but there's actually science behind it. So, you know, we talked a little bit earlier when we were talking in the beginning is that, uh, you know, what we're asking people to do when we're pursuing innovation is, is really a different set of behaviors than we're typically taking. This idea of taking risk is not normal behavior for most people. So how do you get someone to buy in it? Well, most psychologists will tell you that your behaviors are a function of whatever your belief system is. And the studies say that by the time we're in our mid-20s, our belief system is pretty well locked in. Mm. And so one of the reasons I'm so passionate about being here at Marquette and, and engaging with you and, and really trying to get these conversations started earlier is we have a time now to shape those beliefs and empower you for the rest of your lives. Mm -hmm. I, I spent my career training people in their 40s to try to become better leaders and innovators. And I will just tell you, they were phenomenal managers. But they really struggled with it because, and it wasn't due to lack of intent. I mean, they wanted to do it. But what you were really asking them to do is try to rewire some of their core belief system, which is really, really hard to do. So I would just encourage you that uh, there's a huge opportunity for you uh, to get started early, but also for us to encourage others because this is that moment where it actually gets harder from here. And uh, I know you probably are never think you'll be as old as this guy sitting on the end here. I'm actually having my 30th uh, college reunion this weekend. And uh, it doesn't seem that long ago that I was 
acting like college student, and we'll just leave it at that. So um, <laughs> I have one more thing I want to cover before we wrap up. So as we sit here today on Marquette's campus, we know that higher ed is experiencing a lot of change. There's pressure on costs, student debt, how we teach, and even what we teach. And it's clear that the 200-year-old business model of higher ed needs to change. And one of the things I learned about innovation is the best ideas actually often come from people working in completely different areas. So if you were the president of Marquette, and I want to focus on this problem of higher ed in general, right? So how would you go about finding solutions to facing this challenge of we can't increase the cost and we have to find ways to educate people in new and different ways. And there's going to be less students that are going to be go getting college degrees in the future. So this is your chance to innovate live. What do you guys, what do you, what do you think? And by the way, we'll send this to President Level when we're done. So uh. I think this is an awesome question. <laughs> this is probably the best question I've been asked on a panel. Um, that doesn't mean I want to start. <laughs> but I guess since I started talking, I think, I think it's super important to understand that there are extremely educated people um, that are in the, in the real world right now um, doing the jobs and the works. And I think that maybe figuring out how to um, create more programs around apprenticeships maybe, um, uh, working side by side next to individuals in your career field. I wish I ha had the opportunity to do that when I was in school because I went to Marquette University. I go to Marquette University <laughs> still, actually, 10 years in. And, and it's an amazing school. I will also be very transparent. I also went to YouTube University. And I uh, feel like at, without YouTube, without Khan Academy, without Course Error, without like a, a, one person talking to me in my, in my computer screen, <laughs> walking me through what they're doing, it would have been really difficult to graduate with my computer, computer science degree and my computational science degree. So I think if we can start creating more programs around working side by side, brilliant individuals, that could really just change the trajectory of education. I have an idea. Um, probably a bad one, but um, I think it'd be pretty interesting if we could change um, set degree programs to incorporate more flexibility for students. I think a lot of younger generations like to take ownership in what they're learning and be able to kind of customize everything. We live in like a customizable world where you can change um, everything to fit what you want. Um, and I think maybe changing um, changing curriculums to allow for students to learn exactly what they want and not necessarily what was pre-prescribed. Um, I think a lot of innovation comes from kind of mixed ideas and everybody has a lot of interest. So sticking to one curriculum or one degree program can kind of put on blinders to other ideas and make you start thinking in a very straightforward way. So by diversifying that and allowing people to put their interests in um, a set curriculum and make that them their own, um, I think would draw a lot of personal interests. So kind of like a degree from Marquette instead of just a college so that whether you want to study computer science for part of it and you might be interested in something in another college, it's, it's what, what you think meets the needs for you, what you want to go. Right. That's a great idea. Mm -hmm. 
I think one of the one of the ways you can tackle this issue of higher education is really through the empowerment of the student. And actually, I was kind of thinking about curriculum changes, so I don't want to copy. Um, but in terms of that's kind of an aspect I was thinking in terms of empowerment of the student. You know, it's very it's very simple to just go through the curriculum. You know, to, I'm taking this class because I'm required. Taking this class because I'm required, and everything's just a requirement. And you know, sometimes you graduate and you don't really know what you want to do in life. You don't really know why you really have the degree that you do. And I think a lot could be done in, in the college years of empowering students to go out there and find problems that they're passionate about and then take classes around those problems. Because I think something that we all talked about is, you know, copying the boiling point phrase, is we all re have reached our boiling points in different aspects of our lives that have encouraged us to become the innovators that we, you know, we aspire to be and that we are. And if that boiling point, that boiling point was reached because we each found a problem that we were passionate about. And if higher education could be focused on empowering students to find those problems that they're passionate about and then taking courses to solve those problems, I'm sure they'd be much more passionate. If someone was taking a class on, you know, Calc 1, you know, it's, it's Calc 1. But if you take a class that says that, you know, I'm taking Calc 1 because my math background will now help me become a better engineer because I want to solve this problem of, you know, of for me, it's accessible, accessibility of medicine. I know I'm going to need no math, so it gives you much more motivation. I'll just end this uh, with one thought. So what I saw over the years is that nobody really likes change all that much. It's just something most, most humans aren't all that interested in it. Um, but there are these moments that come up that I would say uh, the word you might use is a crisis or something else. And I always like to remind people that you never want to waste a good crisis. <laughs> it is an unbelievable time to get people to embrace that what's the alternative. And what happens is when things are good, it's really hard to convince someone they should change. But when times are tough, it is there is more opportunity for Marquette to become an even greater university now than there ever has been because it's an impetus for change. And I know some people, you know, would say, well, yeah, but I liked it the way it was. Right. But think about it. This is an opportunity to be even greater. So uh, we're running out of time. And we did promise everyone to have a, if they would like a beer or other non-alcoholic refreshment. This is Innovators on Tap. So we have root beer as well. Um, but in any case, I want to thank you all for being here. This has been a, uh, you guys were phenomenal guests. I We'll just have to do this again, whether we mic it up or not. I'd love to keep this conversation going. You guys have doing such interesting things. Being here at Marquette keeps giving me re-energized of just the amazing things we can do. Um, someone said, so why do you spend your retirement doing this? And you know, what you realize is, is I built a company, created a lot of jobs, but actually helping develop people is the most powerful thing you ever get to do in your life. So because people can go do much more than any one person can. And so this is just an amazing story. You guys are just a credit to Marquette. Thank you. I want to thank the 707 Hub for hosting us and our three young innovators, Paula, Nadia, and Efren for sharing their stories and insights on this episode. I believe that developing the innovator spirit while you're young is critical, but combining that spirit with the insights that come from experience is often when true innovation happens. I wanna end with a quote from Paula that stood out to me. She said, you cannot change other people. You can only change yourself. So if you want other people to care, you have to show them how much you care. <laughs>
This idea is key to developing an innovator's mindset. When people think of leadership, they often complain that people aren't following them. But as a leader, it starts with you. You need to give people a reason to follow you and care about the problem you want to solve. If you found value in this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you know someone who might be interested, please share the podcast. Our goal is to enable an entirely new generation of innovators and leaders. And exposing more people to the conversations happening on this podcast will help us do just that. We are always open to critical feedback. My belief as an innovator is anything you do today can be done better tomorrow. Thanks for joining us on this journey and developing your own innovator spirit. Let's go change the world.